On this episode, we discuss Welcome to Marwin. What happens when you take the genuinely fascinating true story of a man dealing with trauma through the arts and Forrest Gumpify it by about 400%? everyone and welcome to the flop house i'm dan mccoy oh hey there dan it's me Stuart wellington elliot kalen over here in sunny los angeles hey guys let me just uh get in if you can hear that sound that's the waves on the beach because i'm over in santa monica at the famous <laughs> pier oh man uh oh. Have, have an iced cream on me mm-hmm. uh, how on about. you are you gonna venmo me the the couple dollars for it or yeah i mean i didn't think we had to get into the nitty gritty details <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder how it's going to be on you when we're like so far away from each other. But, I mean, uh, it's it's a crazy world we live in now, Elliot. I'm not going to like true. put it in a fucking FedEx box and mail it to you. Yeah, can you FedEx me some ice cream? Uh huh. Let me just push normal aside and stuff the ice cream in there. Now, when no, you get it, no, that's going to Abu Dhabi. It's addressed to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, don't say. I want somebody in Abu Dhabi is going to be like ice cream. Where's my cat that I ordered? <laughs> Guys, what does it say that? I have to stop and think about how I start the show every time it happens. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, and it's weird how like a little trickle of blood comes out of your nostril every time too. <laughs> yeah, like a scanner who's working yeah, yeah. real hard to blow up a yeah. head. Yeah, it's like after a while, like stick some Kleenex up in there first, dude. Mm-hmm. Don't get it all over your beard hairs. So uh, <laughs> we're a gross. bad movie podcast, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to pose a question, guys. What if instead of talking about the movie, we didn't? <laughs> that would <laughs> no, be very pleasant. <laughs> okay, no, fine. Stuart, we know, we know our curse, our curse to talk about movies that we've also chosen to talk about. <laughs> I mean, couldn't we, couldn't we just change the name of the podcast to, like, The, the Housemates or uh, The f- flop, flop Buddies? TM? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> I, won't, I won't talk about the movies that we, like, discuss talking about instead of this one but like we, we were going through like a list and then elliot said oh shit welcome to marwin is available streaming and i like like sighed i'm like we really should do that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's not have fun this time yeah so uh but dan you you thought you said hey hey you know what let me take on my shoulders the burden of summarizing welcome to marwin uh, a uh-huh. movie I that i said that and I see, I see is, I see is the notes he's taken. He's actually typed them up and printed them out. Oh wow, that, I mean, that's like three hundred pages right there, Dan. Yeah, and you've laminated them too. I mean, that's amazing, just for archival purposes, I suppose. Uh, now, Dan, to I explain the couldn't... joke for the listeners, uh, the thing is, my notes are uh, usually non-existent and certainly <laughs> less extensive than either Stuart they, or Elliot. Are they are they saved in meme form in the photo <laughs> album on your phone? That's right. <laughs> I mean, well, that would be a lot of work if I painstakingly created memes. Uh, I don't know. I, pain, I think painstaking and memes don't really go together. You're like, oh, uh, I need to have a fourth font in this meme or it won't work. Now, I've never thought of the word painstaking, but do you think it was because 
craftsmen in medieval or ancient times had to do a great job and the stakes were that they would be given pain if they didn't is that you think that's where painstaking comes from uh-huh or if you fucked up somebody hits you in the chest with a stake and you're in pain afterwards. i think you're um misapprehending the two words that are put together which are pains and taking and uh i believe pain it's pain staking. And, and staking <laughs> <laughs> or what if it's like the pain of eating too big of a steak and it fills your tummy up too much? Oh, I've been there. I've been there. Not too many times. Usually my tummy can handle it, but I've been there before. <laughs> now, Dan, I know with Welcome Tomorrow when you said, and I remember this very clearly. In fact, I wrote it down, and I'll just read it quote for okay. quote. You said, I f- you said, I feel most comfortable handling with extreme sensitivity the delicate task of criticizing the film without criticizing those with trauma or mental issues that the movie is attempting to portray. Uh, and I think that it really sets a high bar for yourself to achieve that level of eloquence and, again, sensitivity to people who are dealing with it. But you seem really confident that you can do it. So take it away. Oh, God. Yeah, there, there are a lot of minefields in this movie, and I think that the movie creates Although, them. weirdly <laughs> enough, the movie doesn't actually feature any minefields. No. No, that's true. Just a lot of gunfire. A lot of gunfire. We sh- and we should, as a forewarning, that was a joke way of forewarning that uh, everything we say about this movie is meant to be just about the movie, and we hope we don't say anything that is hurtful or or can be taken in a way we're not intending it to about yeah, I, those who are, su- who are struggling with PTSD. Well, and also, like, I genuinely kind of don't know how to refer to the main character, because, like, he has... Well, his name is Mark. No, I know, but yeah. he, I like refer to his his medical problems because he he has also like mental issues as a result of being beaten. Like he's his like, his, his memories have, yeah. as he says, been kicked out of his head, and he also seems to be kind of like foggy in day to day life. Like he has to write himself notes to remember to do various things. Uh-huh, so. But that's probably also tied to the medication. That may be true, but I like I just I'm not. I apologize in advance if I am not adequately sensitive in like however i come down on referring to like uh-huh. his issues <laughs> and you're um, like you're like i apologize if i'm not sensitive enough anyway this nutball dan no <laughs> come on <laughs> this loony goonie bird dan come on mm-hmm. yeah i mean we've been like uh you know doing the occasional content warnings this you know like this deals with like a hate crime it deals with uh like severe trauma so just you know be aware and uh, and and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try to articulate why the movie genuinely upset me in its handling of somebody dealing with post traumatic stress disorder based on a the uh, in the wake uh-huh. of a violent attack and also how it well we'll talk about it but like I was so intrigued by this movie that I saw the documentary that it's based on uh-huh. Marwin Call because I was like as with uh, the Dark Tower where I was like, I've never read it, but this movie is so boring. I wonder what w- what was in the book that made someone want to make a movie of it and, and wreck yeah. it this way. With this movie, I was like, what is it about this original story that made them want to tell mm-hmm. it in such a strange, disjointed way? And, spoiler alert, the documentary is better. But Dan, <laughs> yeah. explain, yeah. explain yeah. What, some background what, for us. What answers did you find on your vision quest? Yeah. Well, what I found, with which we'll, I'll get into hopefully, is that like the guy this movie is based on, because it's based on a true story, is a much more complicated and interesting character who was dealing with major issues even before the attack that left him with PTSD uh-huh. and and trauma and everything. And so it's like, oh, they really they really like teddy bared him up for the movie in a way that that made me 
unhappy. But anyway, I yeah. keep, I feel I like mean, we're talking around it, but not talking about it's kind of it. interesting because I I was also inspired to uh, this movie inspired me to look up special effects pictures from the movie Small Soldiers, which is also <laughs> a movie that features uh, to- toys getting into troubles. Um, so we yeah. we all we all reacted with this to this with digging in in different ways. Yeah, I will say that I I saw Marvin Cole. Uh, a while back, closer to when it was released, so like I have a, an inkling of the real. We story, get it. You're cooler rely. than me. No, I'll, no, I'm just saying I'll have to rely on you, Elliot, um, mm-hmm. a bit more for you, you've seen it. It's fresher you, in your mind. Yeah, you were on the the Marwin Call tip before Bobby Z even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Robert Zemeckis. Everybody. Okay, so yeah, Robert. <laughs> before we get into it, let me just say <laughs> we've been putting this off for a long time. Robert Zemeckis, up until. Beowulf uh, is Dan's favorite. Up until movie. Forrest Gump, which I, I don't care for, was one of my favorite directors. And since then, other than Castaway, which I liked, he has been churning out the most unadulterated crap. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to him. Wow. But, that's a harsh way to describe it. Well, he, like, I mean, like, the thing about Robert Zemeckis that I liked, like, liked about his early work is it was funny and light, but it, and it had, like, this mean streak to it underneath the surface. And mm-hmm. after Forrest Gump, I feel like he was like, okay, what people want from me is sap. And oh, I see. He just continues to layer that on. I mean, outside movies. of the outside of the uh, the Back to the Future movies, can you give me an example of this dark side? Of course, well, Back to the Future being movies where a guy has to keep trying not to have sex with his mom. I mean, like Used Cars, one of those first movies, oh, very cynical yeah. film. Death Becomes Her is like uh, like this like gory Super like sa- satire like about. You know, I mean, aging who, and Hollywood. And Who Framed Roger like, Rabbit is a, is a pretty dark movie for a movie about cartoons. Like, it is about a murder. Yeah. And you, you, see, a, you see a cartoon shoe killed on screen horrifically in a mm-hmm. scene that I remember when, uh, when, Pete's, when Pete's, people for the ethical treatment of shoes, saw that uh-huh. scene. <laughs> yep. And they were really unhappy about it. And so Mechus was one of the producers of the Tales from the Crypt series, and he produced The Frightener. I mean, and like, he you directed know, a bunch of those episodes, too, yeah. right? So he has that in him, but it seems to have all gone away. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because he's older and more sensitive. Who knows? But um, he's someone, anyway. But he's someone who he still has, like, the techni- his technical skills are still really high. Like, Flight, which was a movie I did not like, the plane crash scene is that in that, or almost crash scene, and that is amazing. And, like, uh, even in even in each of the, even in his bad movies, he still has, like, this real technical skill. Yeah. Which is why in this movie I was amazed at how unpleasant the like action sequences were yeah partly right, partly well, because they were being acted out by cgi dolls with real human faces on them but dan you explain you explain let's finally get into this okay the movie <laughs> uh, opens on our action figure star mm-hmm. the alter you of the main character hoagie captain hoagie uh in an airplane uh and if you didn't know what this movie was about seeing it at the beginning you'd be like why does steve carell look so smooth <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he looks so smooth because this He's is... He's been listening to a lot of Rob <laughs> Thomas lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, the, yeah, the action figure version. Uh, this is a fantasy sequence. He's in a World War II airplane. He's piloting. He's hit by enemy fire, and he has to get out of the plane. He parachutes out. Yeah, and this, this sequence kind of teases out that it's that he's an action figure, I think. Like, at first you're just like, oh, he looks weird. And then it isn't until he, like... Burn his feet. Ca- oh yeah, he catch doesn't parachute fire. out. He like yeah, he burns his feet on the wings. Sorry about that. He so burns his it, shoes. And then like he puts the puts the fire out, and he has to he burns his boots up or shoes up in the process, and you realize that his feet are like weird doll feet. He yeah. has toy feet. Ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
I've gone to the doctor for toy feet before. It's, oh, okay. It's horrifying. When um, your toes fuse together and yeah. you get little holes in the bottom of your heels so that you can be attached to like a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, it must be nice to have good health insurance, I guess, huh, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, which, is, which is another issue with this movie. This movie should be about a guy who has been failed by the health insurance uh, industry, and they barely touch on that. But Dan, mm-hmm. keep going. He's still just a doll who's been shot down in WW2 right now. Yeah, and he finds uh, some women's high heels, uh-huh. which he puts on uh, to replace his boots. And this will become an important point. Um, but he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, do you feel like, do you feel like this moment is played for laughs at all, or? I don't know, uh. I feel like it's, it feels like it's kind of tough for me, because the, this is something that comes up multiple times throughout the movie, and I feel like the movie is both trying to say, like, hey, everybody should be who they are and not be ashamed about it, but also sometimes he uses that, uh. Uh, that as like a like a punchline, but I, yes. I don't know. Well, spoiler alert: the um, the the real Mark is he's not a he's not a foot fetishist. I mean, he likes women's shoes. He he's basically a cross dresser who only really wears the shoes, and he says that well, as, connects as him he, to femininity. Like yeah, as women. he 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 has a he's kind of not able to fully articulate it in the documentary, but here in the movie. He says that he loves the essence of women, and and wearing women's shoes connects him to that essence of women. And he he just loves women so much. But he says dames sometimes, and it's supposed to be like, oh, sorry, I'm speaking to you the way Captain Hoagie would. And it's like, oh, come on, with this, I don't know. I, yeah. the, uh, I w- something that is something that's an issue almost from the very beginning is that uh, Steve Carell is kind of very miscast in this movie, mm. and after seeing. Marwin called the documentary. I was like, why was Jeremy Renner not the star of this movie? He looks like the guy from the movie, and he sounds like the guy from, from the documentary. Like, it's oh, that's, this... some, that's some serious wizard casting right there. <laughs> no, no, but also, like, Jeremy Renner plays guys who are, like, kind of off-putting and a little... Like, he, there's something about mm-hmm. him that's a little weird and dark. And, and based Carell... on interviews, he plays himself as kind of off-putting. <laughs> Yeah, and so like there, and in the documentary, the real Mark Hogenkamp is like kind of an off-putting guy. Like you sympathize with him through the movie, but he's kind of a guy who says things that are off-putting and like is is not is hard to deal with at times. And like Jeremy Renner would just would have been much better, but I guess he signed he signed his soul to the devil that he would only play Hawkeye for years. I guess so. Yeah. Um, so long story short, uh, German soldiers. <laughs> uh, you know, find Hoagie. They're surrounding him. They like make fun of his shoes. Uh, Hoagie is rescued by a group of gun-toting women. Mm-hmm. Turns yeah. out these are his buddies from Marwin, the the fictional town that they all live in together in Belgium. Yeah, that is uh, basically only women. Like, and uh, they all love Hoagie, but can't get too close to him because that would be bad. As we'll find out why later. But uh, Dan, what's what's the horrifying secret of Marwin? Is it actually, a, is it actually as we hope it is, a real Belgian World War II town inhabited by doll people? Uh, I, are you saying that the horrifying secret is the secret is that there's no Marwin in Belgium? No, just what's, that like it's horrifying? all that this is all that this is all what Mark Hogenkamp oh. has been. This is a fantasy world he's put together for himself. Yeah, we see it. It cuts to him uh, photographing these dolls, and he. This is the thing he does. Is he yeah, photographs he, dolls in elaborate scenarios that he has like created stories around. 
and he and he's built this like di- like I guess almost diorama in the in the backyard of his home. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, inside you, his it's, house. Yeah. It's a whole. I mean, it's like a miniature town. Yeah. And uh, the uh, it's a model and, village. And so, as as he'll explain eight or nine times throughout the course of the movie, he makes he takes store bought dolls and figures and makes them into kind of alter egos for himself and the people that he knows and he puts them through world war ii adventures and photographs them and he'll and this is his way of dealing with uh his trauma issues and he'll explain this as i said eight or nine times throughout the film to different characters some of whom already know about it Mm -hmm. yeah and so but this information gets doled out to us very uh slowly like, uh, you know, like what happened? Like, it, it gets explained over and over again, but the movie sort of keeps it a secret for a while. And my, I was watching it with my girlfriend, and she was talking about like how she doesn't kind of know what the main thrust of the story was supposed to be because later on, yes, there's a lot about like whether he's going to testify against these people who attacked him, and there's also stuff about like there's a kind of a budding like one-sided romance that uh-huh. like maybe that's what the movie is about but like for a long time and there's also it, the ticking clock of his uh the art show that he is being encouraged yeah. to go to but initially he seems wary about going and then the, the his concerns disappear right later in the movie but the movie like but like the large thrust of the movie for a lot of it seems to just be like let's puzzle out the life of this guy where we were talking about how like this is a disease that like movies have these days. It seems like they withhold information just to like create this false sense of like mystery and suspense when it's just like, well, you know, like why don't actually clue us into what's going on and see what he like how he deals with it rather than like dole that out. So well, it's like I think it. I think a big a big example of that is the fact that it opens with this World War Two scene, which is like. I, it's really old-fashioned, like, open it with a bang, and there's a crazy scene, and then we'll explain it later. But what it does is, like, it instantly confuses you. It's not an entertaining scene. So right off the bat, you're like, why am I watching this? Like, what is this? Like, is this Toy Story? But, like, mm-hmm. not... Like, if you don't already know the story of the movie, then you are at a loss as to why you are watching this movie. And I would say, and this is me being... Dan, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If okay. I was making this movie, if I was making Welcome to Marwin, again, uh-huh. I wouldn't call it that because it's a weird, it makes it sound like, uh, what's that, Road to Wellville or something like that? Yeah. It sounds yep. like a movie about like a, a kooky town that like I would not have these fantasy sequences and I would not be inside Mark Hogenkamp's head through the whole movie. It feels like if you want, if what you want to do is puzzle out this interesting guy, that the best way to do that is not from inside his head living his adventures and maybe I would hold off on showing those as full-blooded things until, like, the very end of the movie when you finally get a chance to see the world the way he sees or something. The way that, like, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Laurence Olivier's Henry V, like, starts in a theater and then more becomes more and more set in a, in a natural, in a real world. But yeah. it feels like by jumping straight into Mark Hogan's camp's head, the audience is really confused and also, like, it's, it's, it's just, like, uh, it makes it seem like his the adventures he's having are like cool and fun and like we're supposed to be like just straightforward enjoying them, you know, but clearly he's in pain and it's a weird thing to like use somebody's pain fantasies as like cool action scenes by the, so I read a review of it where they compared it to sucker punch and it's like, Oh yeah. Sucker punch was a movie where it was like, don't you like this stuff? Well, you're a jerk for liking it. And welcome to Marwin is a movie where it was like, 
isn't this cool that this guy does this stuff with dolls? Anyway, he yeah. has some problems. But isn't it cool? Yeah. So, so you're saying if you had made this movie, the opening credits would have been a montage with like maybe a Randy Newman song and like <laughs> a montage of picture, like just shots of his house and the dolls set up. Exactly. And- As he's getting older, growing up from a little boy to like an older kid, mm-hmm. uh, then it would be Mark Hogenkamp's birthday. All the all the members of people in Marwin Call are really are, or Marwin as it is in the movie are really worried because a new doll's coming and they're really worried about being overtaken. Uh, and he gets like a space doll and he tries to incorporate mm-hmm. that into it. He goes to Pizza <clears throat> Planet, loses the dolls, and now uh-huh. they've got to make their way home. I call it Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of Toy Story, like th- this movie has three separate tones, and I'll get into that later, I think. But like this first, but the. One of the big mistakes it has is these uh, fantasy sequences. The first tone I, is kind of like they feel like like an like a step down from like a DreamWorks like CGI children's movie almost. Like they've got this like weird like goofy like feel to them, and it, and also everything looks so slick. Like I feel like you would. <laughs> I don't know, like, I feel like for this story, you want the fantasies, if they're going to exist, to look a little more handmade, like a Michelle yeah. Gondry kind of thing, maybe. I, like, the, or, like, the, or, or you do them, with, or like stop motion or something like yeah. that. Where they don't, they look like dolls instead of looking like weird CGI people that are made like dolls. Because there's yeah. also something super creepy about seeing, especially the real actresses' faces on top of these, like, super exaggerated Barbie sexy bodies. And there's yeah. a scene where one of the dolls, and like, and Mark Hogenkamp, he he deals with a lot of, in his pictures, he has a lot of, like, adventures where the women are losing their clothes. But there's a scene where one of the dolls, which has a real actress's face motion captured onto it, her shirt has been ripped open, and she's running away from the Nazi soldiers that have attacked her. And she has, like, Barbie boobs with no nipples that look like plastic, but they're still bouncing when she runs as as if they're real boobs. And the the physics and the trying to figure out what was going on with the anatomy of this doll and how it must feel for an actress to see her face on top of, like, a weird topless half-person doll. It was, like, mm-hmm. it was just very... It was. I, I found the whole thing, like, uh, I don't think you really thought through the meaning of what you're doing with this yeah. with this moment, you know? It yeah. just really... It, it felt, like, a really messy, you know? Yeah. But anyway, we're... we're so this dan- movie... Sorry, yeah, we have, we're, we're talking a lot about theory, but not actually what happens in the movie. And, like... Uh, so this movie jumps around so much that me, with my extensive notes, I can't actually remember like what the next scene is. His uh, his his caregiver arrives. Okay, so yeah, there's some there's some new neighbors across the street. Yeah. There's Nicole, a woman who is running from her bad boy man, Kurt. And you know Kurt's bad because later on when he drives up, Cat Scratch Fever is playing in his car uh-huh. because Robert Zemeckis never met a pop song he didn't want to shove into his movie. Yeah. Uh, and then his caregiver arrives, who's a Russian homemade played by Brienne of Tarth. We, this is the only time we see this character in the flesh. It's always in the plastic after mm-hmm. that as a doll person. Well, she only comes once a month, and this movie takes place in a relatively tight window. That's true. Uh, he has, and she, ad- she advises him not to, to, he has to take his meds, but don't take too many meds, which is like yeah. a real Chekhov's pill. You know, there's going to be a problem with meds later on. He's got this art show coming up, and he goes through his scrapbook of memories because, and this is something that was not made as clear as it should have been. He has no memories af- of anything before the attack. His entire life before then is a mystery to him. And he talks in the documentary about, like, oh, I was married, I guess, because I have pictures of me getting married, but I don't remember anything about. My, my life with a wife or who this person was. And that's something that the movie doesn't really dig into. 
he kind of like we know that he was assaulted in some way and his life fell apart and he had to recover from it. He had a real tough uh, one-legged veteran physical therapist played by Janelle Monet again, and she has one scene where she's a person and the rest of her scenes are just as dolls. And we see an adventure uh, in the village of Marwyn that involves a new villain character, uh-oh, Deja Thoris, the 3,000-year-old Belgian witch who wants to make mm-hmm. the other girls disappear because she wants Hoagie to herself forever. Yeah, and this is like... I, this is another like kind of weird like it's, choice that the movie makes. It's a very common name, Dan. Uh, well, that's for, it's, it's from uh, it's uh, from the John Carter stories. Yeah, exactly. I know but that's they, why it's a very it just it's a coincidence that she has the same name as the Princess of Mars. But like the like another weird choice the movie makes is to turn it almost into this like f- fantasy film where later on. Like Mark is interacting directly with this evil witch character who's trying to tempt him, and and like it turns it into this I don't know like almost this this science fiction struggle almost even though we know that like it's a fantasy woman it's the because it's this CGI stuff it, it gives it this weird like association I feel like in movies and also it becomes very clear to us way before it becomes clear to Mark that this is this uh, evil witch is the embodiment of his pill addiction. Well, and his depression. And it's, it, it is, the, this, this evil witch is the Thanatos in his personality that uh-huh. wants to escape life by, through either right, medication but, or, or over-medication to the point of suicide. But she's the exact same color as the pills he's taking, so it's a pretty oh, clear... Yeah. She turns people into pills at some point. Yeah. And, and she also, she, while he's sleeping, she whispers in his ear like, like, the, like Timothy the Mouse and Dumbo, saying like, join me forever. Take the pills and join me forever. And it's like, and so at the very end when, spoiler alert, Hoagie has the realization that this witch is a bad guy and is, he literally says like, you're Mark's problem. It's like, yeah, we know. Thanks, movie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, we kind of knew she was the problem from the first scene she shows up in. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, if it, if the movie Alien, if Sigourney Weaver was like, why is everyone napping on the job? I can't find them. And then she leaves in the escape pod, and then an alien shows up, and she's like, oh, it was an alien. And the audience mm-hmm. would be like, yeah, dude, the movie's called Alien. We saw an alien attacking people. Like, that's yeah. kind of what that feels like, that realization. And the other, major, the other major problem I had with this character is, like, so the real, like, Mark, you know, used this art to work through real things in his his real life and there were like parallels to his real life but i don't think there were like <laughs> the movie makes it like such a direct parallel to like problems that he has in his life or things going on it's like it, it it's like almost a one-to-one allegory the whole time and i don't think that's how it works like well there's it's such the, a simplification i there were so many things in the movie where i was like that I'm sure they shoehorned in there. They made it up, and then watching the documentary afterwards, it's like, oh, a lot of these scenes are adventures that Mark came up with for his characters. And like later on, Dejathoris is like, "Build me a time machine," and he builds her time machine, which looks a little too much like uh, the time machine for Back to the Future. But in the documentary, he's like, "Oh yeah, Dejathoris told me to build her a time machine, so I had to do it." Like he does interact with these characters in a way that the movie is trying to illustrate, but the yeah. movie is illustrating it so literally, and it's like. Uh, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, why do I not like the way this movie is using fantasy scenes? But I do like the way that, like, Brazil is using fantasy scenes. And it's almost like Brazil is not pretending that when Jonathan Price is hallucinating a giant samurai that it is fun, you know, yeah. or exciting. It's just like, 
frightening. And it's like uh, in this, there's I think they're they're trying to handle these very complicated emotions and this very complicated mental life that Mark Hogenkamp has constructed. But they're trying to do it by shoving it into like kind of a, the box of a movie that you can release around Christmas. They're trying to do it by shoving it into Forrest Gump, essentially. We're like, yeah. it's about somebody who's like kind of difficult, but kind of cute. And like, uh, or it's like as good as it gets. Like if as, as good as it gets, if Jack Nicholson also was imagining that he was a knight at different points in the movie, like yeah. that's kind of what this feels like. Yeah, I got a, I got a definite as good as it gets vibe out of this one. Which is ironic because this movie is not as good as it gets. <laughs> uh, in title or in what? Uh, quality? <laughs> yeah, all of those things. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're starting to learn that he has, he has a small world outside of his home. He spent some time at what a local bar and grill called the Yeah, Avalanche. he works there. Yeah. He also, uh, that he has been the victim of an assault, and he it's an ongoing thing that it, he uh, he has an upcoming uh, what a sentencing hearing for the guys who assaulted mm-hmm. him, and that uh, attending that gives him uh, extreme amounts of stress. Like it, yeah. he shuts down, and 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 disappears into a fantasy world involving bullets. Everyone keeps saying that. Uh... If you don't show up, we, we want you to show up so they really throw the book at these guys. And it makes me wonder, like, what kind of judge would be like, well, you beat a man almost to death, but I guess he didn't think it was worth showing up today. So I'm going <laughs> to let you free. If it yeah, didn't yeah. matter to him that you were going to jail, why should it matter to me? A judge who has no feelings about this one way or the other. Case dismissed. I've been watching a lot of, uh, well, my wife's been watching a lot of episodes of Caught in Providence lately, and I've been catching it uh, in the background. And I feel the judge on that show would totally understand uh, Mark and still give them a rough sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what yeah. I'm describing, I guess, is more of a Maximum Bob type scenario. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. There's also, uh, Mark has, he has his friend at the bar, Carlala. He has a, uh, he, and he goes to the hobby store where the woman there clearly has a crush on him and is trying to ask him out, but he's very, like, he's very yeah. uh, evasive. Played and he, he has a, clearly has a crush on his new neighbor, Nicole. Yeah, yeah, and his uh, the woman at the hobby store is played by the great Merritt Weaver. Yeah, I was going to say that myself because yeah. she's so great. She's always great mm-hmm. in everything, even here. Mm-hmm. And uh, she shows she's like this new SS general doll came in the came in. Do you want it? It looks really real. And he freaks out and hits a remote control, which causes the volume to go up on a TV <laughs> that happens to be showing a story about the sentencing of his attackers. And he and runs he, out, and it's such and a he, Rube Goldberg he, trauma he, moment. Holy he, shit! That was like that was exactly what my girlfriend said while watching. She's like, "What are all these Rube Goldberg like <laughs> twists that happen?" Because he turns the volume up, and then he knocks the remote on the ground, and the batteries fly out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so he they can't change the channel. And the the woman from the hobby store just it's like Tony take a Todd hit. is in the background, like making things break so that yeah. he can't escape his fate. You you escape. You weren't killed by that horrible assault. I guess I'll come after you afterwards. And everyone's like, Tony Todd, this is kind of tasteless for you to be doing this. Like that was this isn't like fun. This is really upsetting. And he's like, death is upsetting. Let's stop using death as an entertainment, huh? Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to get. I'm trying to get respect for the end of life. Mean anything to you? And they're like, okay, okay, I get it. He's like, I'm trying to raise my profile so they'll put my character on the new Charmed show. <laughs> uh, and uh, But it's, it, the woman at the hobby store, she just cannot take the hint that he does not want this SS doll, and clearly it is triggering him. Because every time he's, she like keeps kind of trying to hand it to him and he keeps like screaming every time he sees it. It's like, <laughs> she, he doesn't want this doll. Just like stop trying to sell him this doll. 
Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe she doesn't really like him. Maybe she's just like, he's my cash cow. I, I, I apparently run a doll store in this small <laughs> town. He's the only one buying this. Yeah, I mean, they have a pretty pretty good selection of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's so an amazing as, hobby shop. Guys, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show very much, but one of my hobbies is I love building and painting figurines. Mm. So I have a couple opinions about this show. Or the show. The show. I mean, this movie. Uh, <laughs> movies aren't shows. I know that now. I've gone through a lot of uh, you know, therapy a lot sessions. Of, um, a lot of cast, or sorry, a lot of crew people talk about being on a show when they're talking yeah, yeah, about the, in, working industry on a movie. So, yeah, so maybe you're just... Plug yeah, into thanks that. for thanks for real, uh, revealing a little bit of industry info for me. Um, so <laughs> that's but that's when he's that's Dan's that's Dan's film glossary. Like I mean, that's was, Dan's film vocab for the day. I wasn't I wasn't trying to Dan explain. I was trying to help out. Okay. Uh, well, you know, sometimes <laughs> helping out doesn't always work out. Um, so, uh, but the way he like the way he has his little like model uh, jeep that he takes his dolls around in with a little uh, stick and a leash. The whole time, like, you're going to damage your stuff. You're going to mess everything up. And uh, luckily, nothing ever... Like, every time there's a chance where somebody could damage his toys, nothing actually happens. There's a point where a car almost runs it over, and I got very nervous for his toys. Because as somebody who has built and painted a lot of figurines... I live in constant fear that somebody will just come and damage them all. <laughs> so here's here's the thing about him is that when it comes to his figures, he's not a collector. He he's he's using them the way they were meant to be used, playing with them, not just sticking them on a shelf. And so he talks in the documentary about how like he got this Jeep and the tires look too real. They look too or took new, too too new. They look too factory made, and that's why he car- he brings it around everywhere with him so he can get real wear on the tires so it'll look like something that's been through World War II. So in a way, Stu, he's just, it's just his way of bringing that next level of paint and realism to the figures. Kind of. I mean, I would say maybe some a little bit of texture paint and some weathering powders. I mean, they do a lot of really cool stuff with model paints nowadays. <laughs> now, right. I, I, now, I wish this was a bigger podcast so that deadline could be, or, or someplace would be like, Stuart Wellington slams Mark Hogan camp he, <laughs> for the way he's weathering his toys. I shouldn't say toys. I should say figures or, I don't know, art materials. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's, and there's an interesting, in the documentary, they're kind of riding the line trying to figure out, is this art or is this therapy or what is it exactly? And the movie just doesn't, the movie just treats it kind of like play, which is weird. Yeah, like, a, um, like an eccentricity. Yes. So uh, there's more not hot Nazi action between mm-hmm. the the bad guy dolls and the and the good guy lady dolls, and uh, he gets in a coal doll, and the lady from the hobby shop is like, "Hey, I'll go to the sentencing with you," and he's like, "Nah, I don't want to go," and that's when Nicole stops by to introduce herself, and the lack of chemistry, I would say, is palpable. Dan, yes. how would you describe it? Well, okay, so Nicole is played by uh, Leslie Mann, mm-hmm. and uh, she. <laughs> The thing that made my girlfriend the most mad in the whole movie was that later on uh, she asked Mark to uh, help her clean her house, and she's in like, like a a dress and heels <laughs> while she's cleaning, yep. and Go and on. like she's constantly wearing this outfit, which made uh made my girlfriend be like, when is this set? <laughs> Yeah, because she's like, always dressed like Donna Reed. It's really yeah. It was weird. very confusing to her because it was like, okay, there's all this World War II stuff, and then like, yeah, she's dressed like Donna Reed, and then suddenly someone mentions Zappos, and she's like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> um, 
But uh, let's yeah, she mentions Zappos. Yeah, yeah, it is. There is a weird like disconnect because maybe part of it's like maybe she's dressed because she's part of his fantasy world. Well, she definitely mm-hmm. plays into his fantasy world because, as I said, she's always wearing heels. And Leslie Mack comes over and is immediately uh, fascinated by, you know, Mark's little diorama and asks about, you know, what's going on there. And she is, she exists only to be nice to Mark. She's like comically nice to Mark, even when, like, he tells her that this doll is named Nicole and it looks exactly like her. Well, I mean, you know, when you get older, Dan, it's harder to make new friends. And she is kind of on the run from some trauma herself. She's yeah. just getting out of an abusive relationship with Kurt, the uh, ex-cop. Right. And, she, and so, I, Stuart, I what you later just on described has... there is in, no way dis- is in no way described by the film. You just read <laughs> yeah. so much more right. real emotion into the movie than the movie provides for this character. Well, but also later on, it's revealed that she, I think, has a cousin who likes to wear women's clothes as well. So she's very yes. understanding about, mm-hmm. you know, Mark's desire to do that. Like, but she, she does not. We do not get a sense of her inner life. She's just very, very sweet to a man who, like, I'll be honest, does like a lot of off-putting things around well, her. Ironically, she is a doll in the movie. Like, yeah. she is treated by the movie as a doll who exists only to befriend Mark and have him get a crush on her and then let him down when it turns out she doesn't share those feelings. Like, she exists only as a real-life plaything for her, and I don't think the movie is attributing that to the characters. The movie is just, like you're saying, failing to give her any inner life. And if we could see her bristling at some of the like more off-putting things that Mark says or does, it would make her feel more real. It would make their relationship feel stronger and more real. It reminded me of a her character in The Comedian, where it's like, again, similarly, it was like, your job in this movie is to fall in love with Robert De Niro's incredibly unlikable, unfunny character. And it's like, yeah, okay, uh, and is there anything else I'm going to do? No. You exist only to be an accessory for him throughout the movie so that we can mark off his redemption through how he interacts with you. Well, you know? Which, and the, which and means the movie... like when she's in movies where, as a, as a performer, when she's in movies where she can she gets more fun stuff to do, like what was, uh, what was the one, the, the sex comedy the teenage, with John Cena? Uh, uh, blockers? blockers? Yeah, blockers. yeah. She was, it's just she called was Blockers, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, all right. It's like chicken blockers it's called or something. Picture right? of a chicken, cock blockers. It's chicken blockers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she, oh, you know, my worst nightmare. Someone yeah, would block like, me from a don't chicken. You, don't you see like Gary Cole's wiener in that? I mean, that movie's a lot of fun. Yeah. It feels like the movie is setting the audience up to be like, oh, I hope these two come get together so that when she says no, it breaks our heart. But it's not going to break our heart because it's very obvious from moment one that they should not be together, and that yeah. this is uh, that this is a a fixation that he has on her and not a real relationship. But the movie yeah. kind of wants us to think it's going to be a relationship. It's like the movie thinks the audience is dumb. I guess well, this is how is what, I put it. This is what I wanted to say about like the three tones because they've got the goofy like CGI stuff tone. They've got a movie that actually touches on some of the real stuff in his life that at times can be kind of interesting like when it when it takes the movie when it takes the story seriously but then that butts up against the hollywood version of this where like they kind of want to make it into a romantic comedy almost and it doesn't like none of it works together yeah so the uh i think that's well put uh anyway there's a scene where mark makes his nicole doll let's just get back to the summary huh uh nicole stops by marks again they talk shoes uh there's a dance party at hoagie's bar 
in mm-hmm. Marwin after uh, Hoagie has been captured and is being brutally tortured by the Nazis. And Nicole leads the other women of Marwin in a uh, what it looks like they're gonna they want to party with the Nazis, but really they hurl Molotov cocktail bottles at them and then shoot them. And it's so horrifically violent in a way that really like. I upset me for some reason. Like for some reason, the raid yeah. redemption. I was like, cool. But this watching it, I was like, my stomach was churning, and I'm not quite sure exactly why. Do you guys have a similar reaction, or were you just like, whatever? Dolls with blood pouring out of their bodies. I don't know. I kind of just zoned out on the like the doll sequences entirely because it was so clear that they were extraneous to the movie that I'd be like, I don't know what's going on. Like, And there's, I don't know, and there's also a feeling of like knowing this is a fantasy and that the fantasy always is such a violent thing. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously. Enough... Oh, sorry, what you say? Just the idea of like, I don't feel any kind of catharsis from this because I know that it like, it's it's a fantasy that will not move anyone's life forward. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're all, there's, there's no, there's no story used to it other than. Yeah. And again, this is like a real story that Mark Hogan Camp came up with for his characters, like where he was being tortured and the women came and saved him. But it feels like they they were just kind of like trying to shoehorn all these. It's like there are all these amazing parts of his life. Let's try to shoehorn them all into the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a there, Nicole's evil ex Kurt shows up and uh, starts spewing Nazi German at Mark, and once again, uh, and, Mark you runs know, away. Up until this point, I was like. You know, maybe he just loves her. He's a, maybe he's actually a good guy. <laughs> uh, and Nicole also talks about her love of tea. And uh, this is another one of those Rube Goldberg thing where Mark, he's triggered by all this German being shouted at him. He runs away, trips in his house. A trap door falls on his head, and uh-huh. he yeah. it's like he it's it's such a weird thing because it's like a tragic cartoon routine. You know, like if if uh, if Wiley e. Coyote was genuinely in pain and hurt like and really injured by the stuff that was happening to him. that's what it feels like sometimes yeah uh okay so dan what happens when uh so mark's gonna go to the sentencing after all what is it oh, what, yeah what happens so when he goes, goes there? to the sentencing and um he's looking at the the dudes on the other side and like doesn't like one of them look like the doll like that's why he's being triggered is the well the, he has the one same. of them has a has a swastika tattoo on his arm yeah yeah and, and that, like there's a guy with like they do look kind of like his dolls there's yeah. like a yeah. guy with glasses there's and you know mark he basically oh like, and also and one of his attackers was uh from those uh was it Duracell, that family that was in the Duracell battery commercials where they were mm-hmm. like people but they had rubber skin so they look like giant dolls so he sees uh-huh. that and he's like ah a giant doll mm-hmm um, so, no, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm the only one who remembers those commercials. And, no, or, they're horrifying. And, <laughs> Although they were like more like blocky, right? They like. Well, yeah, they were very not. They were very wrinkly and had a lot of like I want to call them carbuncles. Like, yeah. they it was they looked like a somebody saw a, Elliot. Isn't a carbuncle the the spot in between your butthole and your testicles? I don't think so. Dan, why don't you look that up? No. Uh, <laughs> the, that's interesting that that was the joke you were going for. Like, I was just sitting here being like, ah, oh, the adventure of the blue carbuncle was a good Sherlock Holmes story. <laughs> anyway. You know, the car- a carbuncle is like a boil. Okay, anyway. So Mark uh, has an attack of PTSD. He runs out of the, the uh, sentencing hearing, and the lawyer's like, uh, can we have a recess so I can call my client down? And the judge is like, I'll do you one better. We can reschedule. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Probably because of our overworked uh, judicial system. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's I think that's implied. That's uh, <laughs> and this is he's uh, the his his PTSD attack takes the point the form of him imagining that this has become a firefight between yeah. the Nazis that attacked him and Hoagie, and he and he runs yeah, away a, a human sized Hoagie. Yeah, and he, we are spared the part where I assume Not off a camera sandwich, <laughs> which would be <laughs> both delicious and terrifying, and the the possibilities of what uh, what it could do to a human belly if consumed yeah. in its entirety, or or if shoved in someone's mouth and throat to the point that they choke on it, as might happen if an invisible maniac was in the room. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds interesting. Has that ever been in a movie before, Elliot? I don't know if it has. Uh, you'd probably know better than me. I assume that. It was written in the script, but they probably didn't shoot it, that as he's running away from the court, he trips down a flight of stairs into a pie contest and gets a pie in his face. And then he's like under a horse's butt and the horse poops on him. Like, I assume that that yep. was going to happen based now, on did, the previous scenes. But Did we talk about, by the way, the scene where, like, uh, has it happened yet where he's, like, putting uh, stiletto heels on Leslie Mann's doll? Uh-huh. And it's it's a very sexual scene. Like, he's and they're clearly, playing that weird cover of uh, of Sugar Sugar or whatever it is. Or yeah, he's clearly no, getting no, not off. Sugar Sugar. It's a uh, that Love in My Tummy song. I don't. He's clearly getting off on this. Like, he's like putting these shoes on her. He's like looking at the doll through a magnifying glass, and like the movie plays it, which happens when I'm painting my goblins too, Dan. <laughs> the movie plays it kind of like it's a sweet thing. Yes. But that's when I like was like, you know what? If this guy wasn't the victim of a hate crime, he would be we like the audience would think he's such a creep right now. Oh, this is the kind uh-huh. of thing that usually you see in movies that serial killers are doing. Yes. And again, yeah. that's more a judgment that's more a, a judgment on movies which associate uh non mainstream emotional attachments with crime yes. and murder. But it does come off as very creepy. It's supposed to be loving, but it comes off as creepy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help the it way was, he's talking to the doll. It was meant to be loving like the way he paints his dolls in the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be like in Titanic when he's drawing a picture of Rose, and it's like, mm-hmm. I'm using my art to celebrate this person that I have feelings for. But uh-huh. I guess part of the difference there is that Rose is there, and as she, she requests that he draw her like one of his French girls, whereas yeah. this is unasked for by... Leslie Mann. So shortly, and the woman is is literally a doll, which has certain connotations. Yeah. So yes. shortly after, shortly after him fleeing the the courtrooms, uh, uh, isn't there a scene where he's at home watching uh, a, a pornographic movie, and he, uh, like he starts to like kind of lose himself in the movie, and then like the uh, as one does the <laughs> uh, the like the the male character in the film turns into his uh, into a Nazi guy, and I feel like. I feel like that also added a that added a, like a sexual element that had been kind of missing from the tone of the movie. Right. And like we were talking about this too. Like the thing is in movies like most people It would be like if Forrest Gump was just well, like well, whacking it to a fucking Well, porno. the thing is that like <laughs> you know the re- the reality All of a sudden and you're like, "What? Oh, like I know he's a human man and like that happens and stuff. That's not that crazy, me, but like I mean, there not, literally does, is there, let there, me say there my literally thing. is a scene where where <laughs> Forrest Gump ejaculates and doesn't know what just happened and is frightened by it and Jenny has to soothe him. So No, I just wanted to say like in this modern world, like the reality is most Live people and let die, do, yeah. Most people do watch pornography, but even so, like if you like in a movie, the only time you see someone watching porn in a movie is if they're coded as like a creep. Uh-huh. Well, I think so, I think here it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a weird it's weird that they're introducing it so late in the film that he watches pornography because also the porn he's watching is 
so jokey and ludicrously yeah. vintage yeah. looking, and he's watching it on like a VHS tape, and uh, the it feels like they're making fun of the character for t- like really what's happening is that his like something that should be a complete fantasy and release for him watching porn and i assume but he's not masturbating to it he just kind of seems like he's watching it to review it maybe for a magazine i don't know uh but that 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 now his (laughs) these kind of trauma these fantasies of trauma that are based in real trauma are invading even this which would be a pleasurable fantasy that should be like a really frightening moment but it's done in such a jokey way that i was like and his response to it is like that I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on here? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like two steps away from large margin it right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, speaking of large margin, I wanted to say that the um, th- this <laughs> what tool- could what could you possibly <laughs> want to say that was related to large margin, Dan? Well, uh, well, it's it's related to uh, the creator of large margin. Uh, well, not creator because it's based on a her but, parents uh, temper- <laughs> on, on a folklore on folklore <laughs> based on. I mean, Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens and uh, and uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, who wrote it? Phil, uh, Phil Hartman. Uh, Phil Hartman. Yeah, their scripts. But like a uh, Tim Burton movie. <clears throat> I just wanted to say that the the writers of this are Robert Zemeckis and Caroline Thompson. And Caroline Thompson, I looked her up. Uh, she wrote Edward Scissorhands, and she wrote At uh, the Adams Family. Homeward Bound, The Secret Garden, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Black Beauty, like mostly children's movies, Corpse Bride, which which sort of that's I think explains part of the weird tone that this movie has. Like it's it's almost like a children's movie version of a guy who like had a hate crime done to him. You know, yeah. it's very strange. Yeah, it's like you're, I think you're right. It's like a children's version movie about a story about a man who is dealing with the trauma of a hate crime through very complicated like psychosexual fantasies you know yeah that, yeah you're right. i think you you put your nail on the head they tried to turn it into a children's film and i just wish i hadn't watched it with sammy because <laughs> he, had a, he had a lot of questions afterwards i was like sam yeah, yeah. you like this it's a movie about dolls and he's like i love the toy story movies toy story 4 was less coherent and cohesive than the rest of the films but i understand based on what was going on behind the scenes with lassiter and everything and i'm like sammy i i'm sure i don't know you know more than me about that stuff i don't know uh, <laughs> so we watched this and he was like dad i've got some questions number one how did this get made and i was like don't <laughs> worry there's a podcast for that <laughs> <laughs> okay well what happens next well i can't so I'm he's so, so bad even, at this. Uh, Nicole gives her some of, gives him some of her old shoes, and he shows her his shoe collection. Yeah, and uh, this is I think where he reveals like I think he at one point he 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 mentions that he like he he offhandedly mentions the pornography that he watches to her. Yeah, in a, yes. in a somewhat like taxi drivery type thing, right? Which where, is the one time she does yeah. seem to be a little uncomfortable. And it's at least it's not the scene in Forty Year Old Virgin where. She finds that he has all these porn tapes, and she's like, "You're a monster!" and runs out, which was always yeah. the least believable part of that movie to me. Yeah, she's like, "Uh, maybe we shouldn't talk about that," but like, she accepts that, you know, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, the uh, so uh, doll Hoagie and doll Nicole they kiss, and that makes Deja Thoris, who has been popping up throughout the movie, we just haven't been talking about it much. She gets mad and tells Hoagie to, to or tells Mark to build her a time machine, uh, and but he also builds doll Nicole a tea house in Marwin. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's when Hoagie proposes to Doll Nicole, and then Mark proposes to Real Nicole. And this mm-hmm. is the first moment where she realizes, uh, maybe this is not the relationship I thought it was. Maybe yeah. he, uh, when I was, when I thought I had pretty securely friend zoned 
this next this across the uh-huh. street neighbor. He doesn't seem to realize it. Uh, she says she lets him down very gently. Says they're just friends, and he gets mad and blames Jaja Thoris. But he built her time machine. So he's like he's like Jaja Thoris, you did this, but I built you your time machine. And I was like, that time machine, as I mentioned earlier, looks a little bit too much like the DeLorean in Back to the Future. Like, come on, come on, Bob. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, this it is a Ready Player One. Come on. L- luckily, when it flies around, it doesn't make like flamey tire tracks or anything, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it does. It does do that. Uh, I mean, it, basically, it's one step away from a Christopher Lloyd doll running in and being like, Marty, I mean, Hoagie, we got to go do this thing. But to apologize for uh, letting him down and, and disappointing him, what does Nicole get him? Uh-oh. Guys, it's that Nazi doll that keeps triggering him. It's like the yeah. cat that came back. You just can't get rid of this thing. The doll escapes its box and starts chasing after Mark. And it's and it's basically, it's her ex-husband, right? Yes. At this point, it becomes her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend. Yeah. It's not quite that's, clear, I that's guess. That's the face that's mapped onto the doll. Yes. Uh, this doll shoots doll Nicole. Mark flashes back to his assault and uh, Dejah Thoris is like, "It's join me. This is all your fault. This was so all can your I, fault. Can I pause it right now? Because this is the point where, like, you know, pre, uh, before this, they had, they, you know, they'd mentioned the assault, and they'd, they'd kind of framed images of it in a way that was, uh, like, uh, you don't actually see it. Like, it does seem like a, like a distant, uh, like hazy recollection. Mm. But then yes. when he, when she gets shot, he kind of fully remembers it a little bit and it, it it like you get more of it as it goes on and i feel like that i don't know like i felt there was something uh i i felt there was something interesting about the way they were framing the assault earlier uh and it fit more with the film but it feels like zemeckis i mean it's not a huge surprise because he's kind of like a spielberg where he's like in every case if he can show something he will show something like if he can make an entire movie with talking doll faces, he's going to do that. Um, but, or it's like how, and it's the same sort of thing where it's like, maybe if somebody had told him not to actually show that sequence where he's like, where Mark is getting kicked in the face on the ground. Cause I, I don't think it necessarily makes the movie any better. No, I don't think so. It's, and, uh, the, and basically all you kind of learn from it, even though you kind of knew it before is that he gets attacked because he admits to wearing women's shoes sometimes to some guys but that but, had already been established yeah, like, yeah i guess that's I don't, true I, I don't i don't think seeing him lying on the ground with like blood on him and some guys like kicking him makes makes it any more horrifying it's just i don't know yeah it's and just, just it's, lazy by the way uh i just i the, being just talking about his assault he was found by his co-worker wendy and it's sort of like heavily implied earlier in the movie that like she had to leave town because he had developed a fixation on her as his savior. Yeah. Uh, which again, like this guy is look, I mean, again, the re- the real guy went through unimaginable trauma that he dealt I with. I mean, but, but we're like, not mocking not, the real guy. We're I just know, talking I'm about just the way the, the movie, movie does not paint it. him well. I don't know whether that happened in, in life. I can't, but I, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, I mean, it's but that's creepy, but it's, uh, you're also, it's also, I felt kind of like uh, William Goldman watching The Big Lebowski and being like, man, I can't wait to see this bowling tournament. That I was like, well, at some point, Wendy's going to come back, I assume, but she never yeah. does. She's just, yeah. a, she's just a shadow. Because if she's not part of Mark's life now, then the movie is not interested in her. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Hoagie is upset and he goes to pray in his little church, and that's where the Nazi finds him. And there's some really out of place doll humor where he's like, 
stick him up. And Hoagie puts up his hands and then turns his head 180 degrees around so he can see behind him. And then he's like, get up. And he like gets up and then spins his torso around to match where his head is at. And it was like, it seems weird that the character at this point decided to do some doll jokes, but uh, as if he was a doll man and mm-hmm. who is versus a demonic toy at this point. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, actually, I mean, that could have been the name of the movie. I think it would work better than Welcome to Marwin. But, you know. And the Nazi is shocked by Hoagie's high heels. Uh, and they fight for a while, and this they've kind of like slid into the big climax fight where that there's a lot of people running, Nazis running around and shooting and things like that. But essentially, what happens is Hoagie uh, stabs the Nazi in the neck with his stiletto heel, and uh, he's going to fall to his death from this church tower when Dejathora shows up in the time machine, and the Nazis keep coming back to life, and there's a big gun battle, and. Hoagie won't leave with De- Deja's like, come with me to the future, 15 million light years in the future in my time machine. And he goes, no, no, I won't leave until we rescue Nicole's shoe because it's in Nazi, it, the Nazi's neck. And there's a moment somewhere in here, and I didn't write it down exactly, where one of the Nazis like, these stupid women. And he's like, women are the saviors of the world or something like that. Like it's, yeah. it's like the movie was like, oh, there's all this subtext we really haven't addressed throughout the movie. I guess we'll just shove it all into this scene. And uh, mm-hmm. Hoagie does, and uh and then just, uh, there's like uh, there's Nazis keep grabbing up a very phallic uh, missile launcher, and then they get shot. And then the next Nazi runs up and grabs the same missile launcher, <laughs> and they're all trying to blow up this flying DeLorean. Mm-hmm. And that's when Hoagie <laughs> notices that Deja Thoris has a tattoo of a swastika on her arm, just like the uh, just like the guy who assaulted him. He goes, uh-huh. "Wait, you're a Nazi. You're the problem. You've been keeping Mark sick." And it's like, I'm glad you came to the. I'm glad the character came to this realization. The audience thanks to the movie storytelling came to this realization, I think 15 minutes into the film. Yeah, It's uh, like uh, anytime I start seeing band photos of a black metal band and I'm like, Oh, these guys look, Oh no. <laughs> or like, Oh, that's a, that's a whole body black cover up tattoo. I wonder what that dude had on his torso before he just covered his entire torso in yeah. black. Anyway, he, uh, in the, in all the hubbub, uh, Mark makes it so that Dejathoris is shot by the Nazis. She disappears, and a green mist turns the Nazis to skeletons, and the Nicole doll recovers. And Mark wakes up and throws his meds away and reads his victim statement in court about how he's persevered and he has his friends. Yeah. It's really unrelated to the crime in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, no, his victim statement <laughs> is definitely addressed to the audience and not the judge. Like, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like, let's have him do a big, inspiring... Uh, speech where in real life the judges would be kind of like okay uh, I don't need do you think, to know yeah, do you think like, the judge about... is like well it sounds like the it this uh, assault hasn't affected you that badly yeah, um, yeah exactly sounds like you've persevered in a very inspiring way seems like you've you've established yourself in the arts community in a way that you couldn't have before this uh, before this assault and so I guess case dismissed uh, <laughs> yeah. I You're all roommates. <laughs> I decree you all be roommates now. <laughs> I uh, sentence <laughs> the attackers to cake and ice cream. <laughs> uh, something I glossed over, but I would like to address briefly, is that one of the big plot points is then that Mark throws away all of his medication because it's bad medication that Dejathoris wants him to take. And it's like, again, it's like a super complicated issue of when medication is right for people and how sometimes it cannot be the right thing and it is... Uh, Rather than addressing the issue, it is just deadening the symptoms to make it easier for other people to deal with you. But it is, like, not a good message in a movie for it to be like, hey, if you're dealing with trauma, the best thing for you to do is throw your meds away. That'll solve the problem. Like, yeah. it's a like it's a real day. It's like a, a little bit like, hey, 
Sometimes you gotta solve a problem with dynamite. So if you've got a problem, throw some dynamite at it. Like it's a, it's like a messy, it's not a good thing for them to be doing. The yeah. same way that like my issue with A Beautiful Mind where it's like, hey, if you've got serious problems and you don't, with reality, just stop being crazy and your yeah. problems will be solved. Just hey, start buddy. ignoring Paul Bettany, your imaginary <laughs> friend. <laughs> yeah. Just, just The things where you can't tell the difference between reality and what your mind is creating just ignore the stuff your mind is creating. Uh, okay, yeah. but yeah. I can't tell the difference. Stop. That's my particular illness. Is My problem is I can't tell the difference between reality and what my mind is telling me. Yeah, but just like stop looking at the crazy stuff and don't be crazy anymore, crazy. Oh, okay, uh, thanks, stop, I guess. Uh, like, stop focusing on that beautiful mind and instead focus on your beautiful heart. Ugh, yeah. gross. I, I find that movie so disgusting. Anyway, and I guess that's kind of what, this mo- what maybe upset me so much about this movie is like how how ham-handedly it was addressing and engaging with real trauma and, like, with with the very real issues that a real person was dealing with. Because it's like, I did it. I came through the other side. And he goes to his New York gallery show, and he's like, I changed the name of the town to Marwin Cole. The Cole comes from Nicole. And the hobby store woman is like, oh, I see. Well, great. Which which is also weird, because, like, in, I guess maybe, maybe maybe this woman didn't want her name used in this movie but like in real life it stands that part stands for colleen yeah. but it's 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 funny that they're like all right they're like what's another female name that we can get a col out of let's just <laughs> lop the e off of nicole and we can do it they're like they're like leslie we haven't named your character yet she's either going to be <laughs> nicole or colette but we have not yep. decided yet we're like it could be now hear me out this might be a little bit out there Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> <laughs> or what's his favorite kind of slaw? Could it be coleslaw? <laughs> nope, there's this... a, it would have to be no E on that slaw. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, uh, well, okay. How, how about this? What if he loves broccoli? Uh, but the real Mark Hogenkamp doesn't like broccoli. Well, he likes adventures. What if he likes the movies of, of Cubby Broccoli, the James Bond producer? What if she's like... named Cole Porter? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's such a dumb movie thing that they're like, this is the origin story for why it says Cole yeah, at the end of yeah. the name. The same way that we have to explain why Han Solo calls Chewbacca Chewy, because it might uh-huh. be not obvious to people that Chewy is the nickname yeah. for someone named Chewbacca. And Nicole shows up at the art uh, show, and she and Mark share like a series of looks that I honestly kind of had a hard time deciphering what the movie was trying to tell me they were thinking what did what did you think of it Dan? well i feel like the movie wants us to believe ignore artists intent in this case the, bobby yeah. z shut your trap yeah marcel duchamp would say dan that you have an equal part to play in this relationship between artist well art I, piece and spectator. i mean i was just trying to talk about how clumsy the movie was but i do think that the movie is trying to tell us like make us think that nicole you know like had this very important part to play in his like semi recovery, mm-hmm. uh, and I just don't see how like the facts of the movie bear that out. Like he like fixated on her, and then she turned down his proposal, and that was kind of the whole thing. And but they have like this look of appreciation between them. I don't know. It's very strange. But maybe he was able to with Nicole and her rejection. Maybe that was that gave Mark the impetus to realize that maybe he shouldn't venerate uh, women who aren't going to reciprocate that kind of emotion to him, and that's what uh, because Wendy left without having any kind of a confrontation. 
Yeah. So I he, guess. Maybe I, it's it's possible. <laughs> I mean, now that now and Mark's been reading a lot of stuff on the internet. There's this philosopher from Canada that he's been watching a lot of lectures from, and he really understands now how women manipulate men and how men oh, are the no. victims oh, in boy. society. Oh no! Elliot, no you know, no, no, no. guys, I've been spending some time no. on what someone called the dark web, and I've no, discovered Elliot. these new ideas. Did you know that? Uh, in many, uh-huh. you know that peacocks are actually male, and peahens do not have. The fun stuff and good stuff that peacocks have, uh-huh. and people are kind of like that too. I actually, need more I can't information on that. I'm sending I, a de- deprogrammer to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't remember any of the real stuff that that guy says, so I made something dumb up. Uh, the stuff he says is dumb. Well, too. good. I'm glad you but, can't remember any of it. <laughs> it's so uh, his his stuff is uh, his stuff is so inane and evil that I just pushed it right out of my head right away. But Dan, you're forgetting that Mark Hogan Camp he doesn't need Nicole anymore because he finally works up the courage. To ask the girl from the the woman from the hobby shop out to sushi, and it's like, because you know, guys, you're not fully healed until you are part of a heteronormative pair bond, and well, the, and mean, you are mm-hmm. mating in a way that is socially acceptable. Also, does he work up the courage, or is he like just shifting to like he's like, oh, okay, this woman has clearly, you know, enjoyed my company before, so I guess I'm moving over here like it seems well maybe weird. maybe he just didn't realize what he had all along yeah and I the guess. scales have been lifted from his eyes yeah it's a real teen wolf situation i think i think that's what it's supposed to be is it's like oh i realize this is the person i should have been with but and they make the case hey we've never had sushi before we might not like it but i guess we should try it and it was like wait was the was the point of the movie that he wasn't trying new things because mm-hmm. he's because <laughs> like he's no, He's, this is the origin story of his famous love for sushi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that, I feel like I feel like for somebody who's super into small like dolls and shit that uh, and like carefully crafted things, mm. I feel like sushi would be right up his fucking alley. Yeah, yeah. That's true. and then and, he's gonna and, get you know, like way into Gundams and stuff. <laughs> when Gundams arrived, uh, oh, Marwin. They're just imagine a lot of weird <laughs> things happen in Marwin. Like he says, they. Uh, it would be really funny if it's like, you know what? Don't call me Mark anymore. Call me hero and it's like wait so this is the origin story for the guy from hero dreams of sushi like what's going on uh, mm-hmm. or jiro anyway, I don't know how to pronounce name. that's what? the end of the movie if, we buried the lead that's how the movie ends yeah. <laughs> oh yeah we should mention this uh, is and a, we the, get and this is this is a uh this is kind of a biopic so they also do like the what pre-credits or during credits pictures of the actual mark hogan camp yeah uh here's the weird thing that they say in it is they go they talk about how Mark hasn't had a hasn't had a drop of al- hasn't drank alcohol in years, uh-huh. and it's like and it, that really I weirded me out until I watched the documentary and it's like oh before the attack he was an alcoholic, he was like an alcoholic who thought he was gonna die, yeah. he thought he was gonna drink himself to death and he was so and, depressed and unhappy. And, and the like, movie once I knew that it was like yeah. I understand this character so much better. Why didn't they build that into the character? You know, I mean he talks about drinking and it's sort of like implied at best but they don't like yeah they don't say that he was an alcoholic i mean part of it is that all the all the information about him comes from him almost like if some of the other characters were like oh yeah mark he had a horrible drinking problem like he was a real mess but they don't they don't it's any any information about mark for the most part comes from mark which makes it kind of suspect and also but also like I, i think it's part of the cuting up of the character like the character is not a blameless snow pure innocent forest gump type if you admit that he had a complicated life before the assault 
And yeah. so it's easier for the movie if it's just like, yeah, he was just this dude who occasionally, he's just a normal dude everybody loves who occasionally liked wearing women's shoes. And then he got attacked and he turned into this, you know, Christ-like innocent, you know? And it's like, uh, it's, it's so much more, it'd be such a more powerful movie if he was a more, if he was as complicated a person as he is in the documentary. Yeah, I, look, before we get final judgments, I want to say again, like, this movie brings up all of these delicate topics that it is not, uh, it is not equipped to handle, and we are only barely more equipped to handle. So again, I apologize if we like drifted into anything that caused offense. But it, yeah, we're, I mean, a, we're certainly not experts on any of these. Subjects. Yeah, but this is like such a Except reprehensible. Models. <laughs> I'm an expert and, on that. Yeah, movie sure in a lot of ways. and I want to apologize for. Uh, when we, when uh, I was like, I guess we got to do this movie, not realizing that it would be a hard movie to like make jokes and be funny about. So uh, yeah. next this time, is definitely, next, uh, this is definitely an eat your vegetables episode of the Flophouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, in the so next episode, we better do something that's more fun, Dan. Well, I think next episode, that's uh, are we into small temper then? Probably yeah. that'll be fun. That'll oh yeah. Be fun. Uh, no, buckle your seatbelts. Yeah, quick final judgments because I think we all know where we're standing here. Is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked, Stuart? Uh, I'm going to say it's a bad, bad movie. Uh, it's a movie that's obviously made with technical skill and features performers that are good, if not necessarily uh, suited for the material. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it just it, it it's it just feels wrongheaded in basically every aspect. Yeah, it's. I'm gonna agree with Stuart. It's a bad, bad. It's just. It's a misguided movie. It's a misguided, like conceptually misguided and emotionally misguided, in a way that makes it like when you see the trailer, you're like, "This is gonna be nuts. This is gonna be crazy." But then you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, this is like really. This is complicated and upsetting." And it's, I feel yeah, so bad for the person who had to cut a fucking trailer for yeah. this movie. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's just like. It, this is not a. It's not a. It's a bad movie, but it's not a fun movie to watch. It's yeah. a hurt yourself movie to watch. Not hurt yourself like you should go hurt yourself, but hurt yourself like it's painful to to watch at times. <laughs> to agree with uh, y'all, it's a it's a bad bad movie, and also like to borrow uh, Nathan Rabin's rating system for uh, bad movies. This is not uh, a failure. This is a fiasco. Yeah, and. Uh, it is kind of interesting on that level. Like, if you want to see how, like, talented people can go so wrong, it's sort of interesting. But it's, like, so, like, it, it is also morally upsetting in a way that, like, I don't usually get upset at movies. Yeah, but, and before we move on, you guys both do recommend the documentary, right? Marwin Call? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it's a very good documentary. I wish that I had seen it uh, instead of this. But, uh, no, it's, I think it's, the, the Marwin Call is well worth seeing. Yeah. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother and me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother and me the hunt is on
everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors. and Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor, and I'm a medical enthusiast, and we create... Okay. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. Moving on. The Flophouse is supported in part by Dashlane. Mm -hmm. Dashlane is a password management app that keeps all of your online information safe, secure, encrypted, and easy to access. Dashlane remembers all of your passwords so that you don't have to. It seamlessly autofills all your login information, syncing automatically across your computer, phone, and tablet, tablet. It even stores payment details. Go ahead and get weird with your passwords or let Dashlane generate a real stumper for you. They'll keep it safely stored in a password vault only you can unlock. Check out www.dashlane.com forward slash flop to get Dashlane free on your first device. As a special offer for the Flophouse fans, they're even offering a 30-day free trial of Dashlane Premium, including VPN, VPN, dark web, monitoring, and more. If you like it, use code FLOP at checkout to save 10% on your premium subscription. I had a burp that I could not burp during that ad read. You know so, what? If you hadn't brought it up, Dan, yeah, I would no, I never know. have known. I I'm, wouldn't have noticed, bra- but it sounds like a great, a great poem start. I had a burp I could not burp. Yeah, I'm just bringing <laughs> it up great. to you know, and, you know, introduce a little lightness and levity end of this section of the oh of the cool Flophouse. thank you yeah, yeah. look i'll <laughs> say look guys i'll just i'll just say it uh passwords are getting too complicated these days and too hard to remember what am i some kind of password computer so i think this is an app i need uh i also want to say that the flop house is sponsored in part by hello fresh hello and uh <laughs> they sent us a it was, Stuart was fresh at the end of a very long hallway <laughs> They sent us a uh, uh, some some samples. Yeah, some treats. I uh, I got to say, uh, yesterday I made one of mine. I cho- I chose the calorie conscious uh, oh, wow. meals uh, because uh, I'm unhappy with some recent weight gain. Uh-huh. And but you ate you ate like two of them, right? No, I ate <laughs> a, a, the appropriate portion. And I have to say though, like you know, for something that's calorie conscious, I could not. It did not feel like I was uh, mm-hmm. denying myself. Like, yeah. I had a very delicious, I had, like, it was a squash flatbread with uh, pepitas uh-huh. on it. What's a pepita? It's a shelled uh, pumpkin seed. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, very delicious. I liked it quite a bit, actually. Hmm. Uh, so HelloFresh uh, does good work. I think you're I think you're really missing an opportunity here, uh, Dan, to do a podcast where you just describe food for people. Mm. You say, or explain <laughs> what papitas are to people. Well, yeah. because uh, you seem so much more animated and excited to talk about food than you are <laughs> Welcome to Marwin, certainly. <laughs> uh, but uh, HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. There's something for everyone. From family recipes to calorie smart and vegetarian and mm-hmm. fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. I want to know what's in the Hall of Fame. 
easily. Yeah, what, yeah, what is in the Hall of Fame? Well, yeah, do you have to like climb up a mountain pathway to get to the hall? Push push the grand doors open, which squeal with the weight of time. And you're like, oh, pot roast, great. Uh, easily change your delivery days, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. For a total of $80 off in your first month, that's $20 Whoa. off your first four boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash Flop80 and enter promo code Flop80. I guess that's a weird sequel to Star80. That's HelloFresh.com slash Flop80, promo code Flop80, for a total of $80 off your first month. I feel like, Dan, this has already been kind of a delicate episode, and making a joke about Star 80 is maybe not the best sorry. the best thing to do. But hey, you know what? That's a well, great you know, deal. It's because my stupid brain did not make the uh, connection immediately between $80 off and Flop 80. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you were like, is that the Flop House of 1980? Is that what this yeah. is about? Like that Wonder Woman movie? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Stuart, I believe you have a Jumbotron. Jumbotron, hand-selected for stew balls. That's right. We got a game. (laughs) I don't know why you're interrupting me. I'm doing a really awesome fucking ad read. Uh, That's right. We got a gamer thing. In the crossroads, each player takes on the mantle of an adventurer by creating a unique deck of weapon, item, and ability cards. Players then compete through a series of shared turns in which all actions play out on the battlefield map simultaneously. By providing unique and realistic gameplay, Crossroads rewards strong deck building, bold strategy, and a willingness to take informed risks. To support or pre-order, find the Crossroads on Kickstarter or visit our website at SojournerGaming.com. That's right. The Crossroads is a new strategic deck-building game for two or more players, which focuses on realistic player-to-player combat in a fantasy setting. Mm, wow, Stuart, there's a lot of a lot of gravity in that read. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you gave I'm, it your you all. Know, I'm, I'm, I think maybe I'm throwing myself uh, throwing myself in the ring for official uh, voice of Crossroads, the game. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, Elliot has a few announcements about the live shows, but before we get to that, mm-hmm. I just want to say uh, the, thanks. The merch thanks for con- listening. The, the merch contest. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening. The merch contest is over. We have a couple of winners. Originally, we we're just going to do the one, but. I, mean, I think everybody's a winner, Dan. Sure. Everyone's a winner who participated. We got a lot of great stuff, uh, but there were two uh, pieces of art that were neck and neck through the entire competition so we're like let's do both why limit ourselves uh especially since we haven't done new merch in a while yeah so, we make the rules why not change them at the last minute so the first yeah, i mean it's it, not like if we lived in a world like that it would be chaos and nobody would be able to live a normal life but I yeah let's know. just do that let's just throw the rules arguing. out the window you know what let's also throw out the baby with the bathwater. why yeah. not people tell you not to but let's just do it you know making a slippery slope argument that i don't think applies but um whoa 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 whoa, whoa. the slope is so slippery ah i'm all the way at the bottom now so, first winner is Elizabeth Stege. She did a lovely uh, house cat on a skateboard t-shirt for us. Uh, and our second winner is Scott Yakashin, who did some uh, Flophouse-inspired monsters on a couch. They're kind of in a Big Daddy Roth style. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are lovely pieces of merch that you can get by going to 
flophousepodcast.com and clicking on the merch link. Also, you can just go to Chapatico or however you pronounce that and uh, click on, I think, podcast and then Max Fun. Do you want to spell it? Do you want to spell it? Because it's hard to... It's hard to... Let me look it up. I don't have it right in front of me, but (laughs) you vamp a little. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. I didn't mean to throw you a curveball like spelling out the name of the website. It's T-O-P-A-T-O-C-O dot com. But again, you can just, if you can't do that, you can just go to the Flophouse official site and click on the merch button. I mean, just tell your phone, Siri, buy Flophouse merch. You'll know what to do. Yeah, I, we're, I'm really happy with both of these. Um, and, uh, and he's also, not happy with anything. <laughs> so these, these two uh, winners got a little uh, cash from Max Fun, but they also chose some movies for us to review. We will not be getting to those until the new year because of our themed month, months and holidays, but we will get to them uh, as soon as we can in the new year. I'm excited about both of the choices that they gave us. Yeah, and that's all I want to say about that. Thanks to everybody who entered the contest. Congratulations to our winners, and thanks to them for doing great work. Thanks to everyone who voted in the contest. I'm looking forward to seeing people wearing or displaying this new Flophouse merchandise. For the Flophouse, I'm Elliot Kalen. Uh, yeah. So, uh, wait, so wait, I think you do the next thing, Elliot. No, the show's oh, over. Wait. We just finished it. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I've been Stuart Wellington. See you guys no, later. No, 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 <laughs> no. the show's not over, guys. In fact, let's, let's keep doing shows. Let's keep doing shows. In fact, let's do some more live shows. Let me talk about them. We've still got September 28th in Boston at WBUR City Space. Technically, it's outside, I think, of the Boston city limits, but it's in the Boston metropolitan area. September 28th, Boston, 7 p.m. We will be talking about Alita, Battle Angel. That show is sold out but at 9 45 we're gonna be talking about godzilla king of the monsters that's right we're bringing the colons to cambridge alita colon battle angel and godzilla colon king of the monsters it's a double feature of double dots in between words and all, all of our personal colons will be there attached uh, to our bodies. Uh, i mean i don't know mine isn't allowed to leave state lines okay. <laughs> i mean if it's anything like a normal show Stuart will make extensive use of that colon right before the show <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't help it. I get a little nervous before I get out on stage. So the other thing is, I'm what? kind of excited about trying both of these movies. I haven't seen them yet. I'm hoping they're both going to be good goods. Yeah. And we got an LA one, too. Did you announce that? No, I haven't. Not yet. So oh. September 28th in Boston. Again, the 945 mm-hmm. show, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Tickets still available. October 12th, we're going to be in LA, Los Angeles, back at the Regent Theater, but this time with Stuart. We're going to be doing that show again Probably. October 12th. That's Saturday, and we're going to be talking about... Dark Phoenix. That's right, the movie that killed the X-Men franchise, Dark Phoenix. Maybe, the, Or maybe the X-Men franchise will rise from the ashes like a house that's been insured. Yeah. It's uh, the only metaphor I can think of. Like a zombie? Yeah, like a zo- rise from the ashes like a zombie. So that's September 28th in Boston, 7 p.m., Alita Battle Angel, 9.45 p.m., Godzilla King of the Monsters, and then October 12th in Los Angeles, we're going to be talking about Dark Phoenix. For those tickets, just go to flophousepodcast.com slash events and click on the button that says buy tickets or get tickets. For some reason, one of the buttons says buy tickets, the other two buttons say get tickets. This is some choice that Dan made, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know why they're not uniform in wording. That's just the way it is. You know, variety is the spice of life. <laughs> whether, so. whether it's buy or get. <laughs> just, just That's one how of those you keep little, excitement in a relationship. <laughs> one of those little curveballs he likes to throw. 
Uh, but I'm excited <laughs> about those shows. I'm excited about finally doing shows in Boston, and those are all movies that I'm looking forward to talking about. Let's move and on. And we'll have, oh, and another thing we'll have is oh, sorry. new presentations. I'm going to be doing some new PowerPoint presentations, and I think you guys might be too. Yeah, I mean, I might reuse one for the Boston show just because we have to keep it short, and I have a short presentation. But definitely for the late show, which is, again, tickets still available, I have a all-new presentation that I've never done before that I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep people guessing. Maybe, okay. I'll, uh, maybe I'll just show up and, uh, you know, vamp for 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes is a long time <laughs> for the presentation. You said I had to keep it short. Okay. Let's move on to letters from listeners, listeners like you. Hey, this first one. It's from Sean, last name withheld. <laughs> hey guys, wait. Before we get to Sean's letter, and I'm sure it's great, I just wanted to sing a little song about this show, even though I know it's going long. Hey guys, let me lay it down for you and be honest. Let's be truthful. I'm turning my chair around so I can sit and be real. Welcome to Marwin was a difficult movie, a hard movie to make jokes about. So I know there haven't been as many jokes in the show as you think there should be, or even that there isn't a show like Glow, which is kind of a drama, but kind of a comedy. It's 30 minutes long, which these days means comedy, even for a show like Transparent that doesn't really have jokes in it. And that's how you know, though, that it's a comedy. It's 30 minutes long. So anyway, this episode has been more like a show like, say, Orange is the New Black, 60 minutes long and kind of a comedy, but these days... Not a lot of jokes in the episodes. The later seasons get pretty serious. Bleak, even, in a way that makes you think, oh yeah, this used to be categorized as a comedy, even though it's 60 minutes long, which by TV definition means it's a drama. So let's just say, hey, next time we'll have more jokes. Wait, what show were you talking about? Good question, Stuart. I'm talking about the way that kind of arbitrarily the the length of a show has become a way to decide the genre it's in. I don't in. think that's the question Stuart asked. No, but... it's fine. It's fine. Um, okay, let's just move Yeah, we both so were did, looking. Wait, so perhaps I'm misunderstanding what Stuart was asking about. So, Stu, <laughs> no. can you tell me from you what was that question again? He he, just want, he wanted to know what show you were singing about. What I wanted to ask a... was, what show were you singing about? That's a good question, okay? I think I understand a couple different shows. I see you checked out at some point. So I was talking at the end about Orange is the New Black on Netflix. But I also mentioned a couple shows like Glow, also on Netflix, Transparent, Amazon Prime, and The Flophouse, which is on Max Fun, and you're listening to it right now. If you're not, then you can't hear this song. But wait, hold on. Oh God. What if you were hearing the song but not listening to the show? Oh like maybe it. it came to you in a dream. Oh maybe you heard someone far off scream Jesus the lyrics God. to the song because they were listening to the flop house. Anyway, it's not I even guess. a song anymore. It's just patter. <laughs> it was a uh, it was a surprise stuet for a second. Yeah, uh, sorry. It's we a both... complicated thing. This life that we live in, and so I'll just say, it's time to end this song. Okay, uh, part one yeah, at we... least. Part okay. two of the God song goes like this. Everyone hates this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we we both checked out. We both took that 
I'm all about to check our email. And because I checked our email, I got a little message from our friend at the Alamo Draft House, Christina, who programs things there. Uh-huh. Uh, I just want to let listeners know that on November the 12th, I will be hosting a Terror Tuesday at the Alamo Draft House, Brooklyn, well, where I'll be showing Final Destination 3. So that's a new that's, a new plug. That's pretty cool. That's almost as cool as how, like, two weeks before, on October 30th, I'm going to be hosting a screening of Jason X. Oh, wow. That's a fun one. Yep. So let's go into outer space. And Elliot, when are you hosting a Terror Tuesday or a Weird <laughs> Wednesday? I'll be hosting my family on <clears throat> Rosh Hashanah the night, after our, the night after I get home from our Boston shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where, where you will, I don't know. Um, it's okay. the Jewish New Year, Stuart, so I'll this... talk about the last year, I'll think about the next year, and I will prepare myself for Yom Kippur a week and a half later when I atone for the sins of the previous year. I ask God's forgiveness, and mm-hmm. I try to identify how I can be a better person for this coming year. Cool. Okay. Neat. Um, this first letter is from Sean, who writes, Dear OPs, I wanted to thank you for your latest episode in which you covered Meatballs Part 2. Mm-hmm. Not just because You're it welcome. provided me with two hours of great <laughs> listening, but because it has also given me closure after 20-something odd years. Some of the memories, for no discernible reason, that have stuck with me from childhood are sitting in front of the TV on a Saturday afternoon, flipping through the eight or nine channels we received in my household. And one such memory was seeing a clip of a guy in a dress flying around a boxing ring. Whether I actually watched more than just that scene, I'm not sure. But I continued on with my life, never knowing what it was I'd just seen. Fast forward to just last week, as I listen to you all in your harrowing retelling of the epic that is Meatballs Part 2, I hear of a scene that almost caused a uh, flashback as I relived that moment, but still managed to safely continue driving. Fortunately, I was alone in my car, because I then proceeded to instinctually yell out, Holy shit, that was Meatballs 2! Mm-hmm. After all these years of never knowing what it was my younger self had watched, the three of you and Charlene have finally given me closure. Thank you. And just to tack it on at the end here, while I'm not looking for anything as heavy as this, have you ever watched an older movie to only then realize you'd actually seen it partially or in its entirety, not realizing what it was until then? Keep on flopping, Sean. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, this isn't exactly the same, but it's close enough. Uh, I'm not probably already told the story, but who cares? Um, I remember sitting in a movie theater watching a screening of uh, the movie Sorcerer. And about halfway through, I'm like, holy shit, this is exactly the same as that movie Elliot was talking about, Wages of Fear. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, is that kind of similar that it's, I remembered somebody describing a different movie? It's similar. The first, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind also isn't quite exactly the right thing, but uh, when I was a kid, I watched um, Night Flight. The program Night Flight uh, showed a uh, compilation of atomic... Uh, era stuff and also like cartoons and stuff that were mm-hmm. associated with uh the bomb and you know when i was a kid much like today there were like high tensions high geopolitical tensions and mm-hmm. nuclear war uh, was enough on my mind even as a child that it was very frightening to me um and mm-hmm. there was this one cartoon that ended with uh these two like punk characters slamming into a, a semi-truck that was carrying uh, nuclear missiles and blowing up the world and then being sent to hell. And this haunted me for years. 
And it's only in the age of the internet that I uh, was able to find that it's a cartoon called Jack Mac and Rad Boy Go. Yeah, they used mm-hmm. to play that on liquid television sometimes. Yeah, and it Where they're going, they're like, out. go, go, go. They're, they're like, want to yeah. go faster and faster, and they keep crashing into things. Yeah. It was horrifying as a child, <laughs> but uh, it gave me a little closure to be like, oh, that was that weird thing that I saw. Well, like, did you ever see the Looney Tunes cartoon that's about how the people of the world kill themselves with war, and then the animals of the world find the Bible and create a perfect world of peace? And it was like, that. I remember seeing that as a kid as part of the, like, regular Nickelodeon Looney Tunes roundup at like 7 or 7.30 and being like, what am I watching? This is so grim. Like, yeah. it's, uh, but uh, to say, I would say that to answer this question quickly, it's less that I see a movie and I realize I've seen it before, but that there are a couple of movies that I've seen a few times and I can never remember anything about them. And so I end up watching them again and they just slide out of my mind super easily. So like there's a film noir called Kansas City Confidential and there's a Peter Lorre movie called Mask of Demetrios and a Boris Karloff movie called Isle of the Dead. And each of those movies I've seen at least twice, and I can never remember anything about them. My mind is just rejecting them somehow, and I don't know why. Yeah. All right, well, moving on. This next letter did not have a name per se. They identified themselves <laughs> as Cloud Nine. So oh, okay. I guess they're that George so, Harrison album. Anyway. Yeah, or it's the, the staff of the, uh, the, the fictional store in the TV show Superstore. Okay. Uh, dear sweet summer peaches. Or it's it could be an actual cloud, guys. Let's be yeah. sensitive here. Yeah, no, that's the ninth fair. one. Uh, I've been listening to the podcast for a few years now, and the episode I come back to uh, the most is definitely number two hundred four. We are your friends, as it never fails to help put me to sleep. <clears throat> Not because it's super boring or anything, but rather because it's my favorite episode, and the dialogue and familiarity always really helps me calm down so my question is what do you guys use as comfort media whether it calms you down or is even just something you feel comfortable watching over and over again what movie tv show podcast or book do you use as your secret weapon to battle anxiety stress or grief thank you for all the laughs cloud nine i think we've answered similar things before now that i'm reading this thing but it's it's still an interesting enough question i'm sure that we'll give different answers than what we may have thought of before i have talked before about how after uh, my divorce, I listened to a lot of My Brother, My Brother and Me, which cheered me up with its fine laughs. But also, like like you, I like to go to sleep listening to podcasts because I find people's voices comforting. And it's sort of embarrassing because uh, Chuck Bryant is kind of an acquaintance friend of ours. Mm-hmm. But um, I like to listen to stuff you should know before going to bed because I find their voices relaxing. And it's interesting enough that it focuses my brain on something that's not like self-recrimination or something like that right before bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like movies, like just making me feel better, I think that anything, because of the nostalgic uh, glow of them, like anything sort of uh, very 80s feeling uh, makes me feel good, like a John Carpenter movie or, or something along those lines. It must be tough for you then because no – Popular media seems to cater to your demographic. It it feels like the 80s are really passe right now. There's not a lot of 80s stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you guys got? Uh, Let's see. For music, I almost always go to like the dumbest caveman death metal I can think of. Stuff that would like normally amp me up, but also like, I don't know, it's just super simple. Um, And I don't know, for like, for movies and TV and stuff, I, I'm i such a fan of, like, 
uh, Miyazaki movies. Like, I could watch Castle Cagliostro every day. It's the best. And for, I don't know, like, uh, for for comics, uh, I like to read comics to kind of calm me down. And uh, for the last couple of years, Giant Days has been my, my go-to for, like, a super relaxing, non-stressful thing. I have talked in the past about how Singing in the Rain is a movie that I take a lot of comfort in. But uh, more lately, I haven't had the time for that. So when I'm feeling anxious or unhappy, I've been turning to the song Venus. Uh, I think it's called Bringer of Peace from Holst's The Planets. And of all the... I'm a, for years, I've been a big fan of Holst's The Planet symphonies. But there's something about the Venus song in particular that really calms me down. It's a very calming sound and a very, and a very like... Um, inspiring song to me so and it's eight minutes long so it's like okay i need eight minutes to calm down i guess i'll listen to this song all right that's very nice uh last letter is from lewis last name withheld who writes hey peaches in the meatballs part two reviews we heard from charlene Mm -hmm. about what Stuart is really like uh-huh. Far from the bad boy party animal persona that he likes to put on. Oh, yeah. That's we learned me. that he's actually a sweetie pie who makes his wife breakfast every morning. <laughs> so I'd like to hear from the other wives and or girlfriends. What are you afraid of, peaches? Give your significant others the microphones for once and let them air their grievances on the podcast. You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. Also, really enjoy the show. Sincerely, Lewis. Okay. Uh, so what's uh, his question? Very threatening. Yeah. So I guess get Danielle down, uh, Elliot. I, mm-hmm. I mean, she I mean, Danielle is uh, unlike me, who thrives on at- the attention of strangers. Uh, my wife does not like to be in the spotlight, yeah, and frequently uh, rejects my offers to like be a part of the podcast or to do anything. She just doesn't like to be. Uh, she doesn't like to put herself out there like that. She's a very private person, so I do not think it is likely to have happened, but. That's also exactly what I would say if I was keeping her from being on the podcast. That's so true. I guess you'll never know what the truth is. Yeah, I didn't figure we would actually do this, but I do think it's interesting to be like, is there anything, I don't know, about our real-life personality that we want to say that might be in... Are you fishing for us to be like, no. Dan, we, we give you... Uh, this is an all an act that we... Well, no, I mean, I will say that we you guys are a lot... We give Dan a lot of shit, but actually he's like, no, no. He's, a, he's a super great oh, guy, God. and he's, he's just a, he's a good guy. That's the thing, is he's a good guy. I'm not fishing for us to, like, talk about each other, necessarily. I was talking about talking about ourselves, although I will say that, like, you guys are a lot nicer to me off the air than you are <laughs> Yeah, the it's a bit. I know. Yeah, yeah, because we're performers, and we're, like, super professional, yeah. butthole. Uh, I don't know what I... Like, I don't know what I would say about <laughs> myself that, like someone in a relationship might say about me. I think I might say that I am uh, even crankier in real life than I appear on the podcast, but uh, I'm warm and sweet-natured beneath it, like the old man at the end of the street who just needs a puppy to uh-huh. uh, Dan, bring him back Dan, into society. Like the Dan old man is very from much up, the old man not the old from man from Gran, Gran Torino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the old man from Gran Torino. <laughs> <laughs> who just is a warm, warm, uh, just a warm guy. Yeah, Dan, you're the old man from Home Alone, where it's like people think you're scary because you're shoveling your walk in the middle of the night, but yeah. actually you're a sweet old man who just wants a kid to uh, show interest in him, and then uh, you'll help yeah, him yeah, fight yeah. burglars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not like the old man from Night of the Demons who buys a bunch of razor blades to put in apples that he's going to give uh, trick or treaters. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I'm then not he like accidentally that. is hoisted by his own petard and eats uh, uh, yeah. homemade apple pie that somehow the 
full razor blades. It's crazy. And you're not yes. like the old man and grumpy old man. I'm talking about Burgess Meredith because you're not always telling like filthy limericks and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I'm also not like the old man in the sea. I did. I don't oh, go out fishing go for giant sea. marlin. No, not at all. Yeah. All right. Well. That's cool. Good. Okay. So we've we've we figured out what Dan is and Dan isn't. I mean, I guess what someone would say about me uh, would just be that people might not know about it, is probably just about how buff I am. Like, that's true. It's one of the. It's one of those guys where once you take off, once I take off my shirt, people are like, "Wow, I had no idea you were so built. You seem like such yeah. a slight guy." But <clears> it's you know, it's just because I wear very uh, very loose clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wear you wear a lot of caftans when you podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know that when you take that off, like though you have a very small frame, you just got like oh, just slabs of beef strapped on there. Oh yeah, it's proportionally very very buff, but on a small frame, yeah. Uh huh. Like if a like if a child really worked out hard. It's like it's like the little bulldog in the cartoons who's always walking around with his big old buff arms. That's kind of <laughs> like you. <laughs> I was going right. to say it's like the scene in Kung Fu Hustle where they're looking for people to beat up in the town, but everyone's too <laughs> tough looking, and they point out the kid, and the kid walks out and he's super buff. <laughs> yep. Oh, well, what a good movie. Uh. <laughs> so I guess those are letters. Um, you know, I kind of opened myself up a little more than Elliot did, but uh, oh, that's true. But uh, that's maybe also that's what of, we would reveal. That's also part that, of our personalities. Yeah, yeah. That, um, Elliot's a very private person who doesn't talk that much. Um, so <laughs> let's. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Is I feel like I feel like my personality is kind of an open book to a certain extent. It's like what you see is what you get. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a faucet that you try and turn off, but then the knob knob breaks and it just keeps squirting out, and you're like, oh, home alone. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a fire hose in a cartoon. You lose control of it, and you're just spraying everybody. Yeah, yeah he's Elliot. Elliot's not quite the uh, motor mouth that he seems on the podcast. He is a little bit, but uh, he's he's uh, a lot more indulgent too than uh, than he seems. Um, okay, let's uh, do recommendations. Why okay, not? so we'll recommend the next part of the podcast is where yeah. we recommend movies that you might want to watch instead of Welcome to Marwin. Thank you. For Elliot that. looks very excited to go first, so why don't we uh, pass do a little bounce pass of that ball over to Elliot? <laughs> I'm sure, I, I can go if you'd like me to. I was I'm going to recommend a movie I really enjoyed a lot, which is uh, a Korean movie called Burning that came out from last year. It got a lot of hype on people's year best lists, but I only got a chance to watch it recently. It's directed by Lee Chang Dong, and it's based on a Haruki Murakami story, uh, and it manages to capture the sense of like long stretches of aimless time that his stories capture. Uh, uh-huh. It's a movie about a man who, uh, a young man who becomes enamored of a friend of his and falls in love with her. She goes off on a trip and comes back with this guy where it's not quite clear what their relationship is and the guy is very rich when the, while the other two are not and uh just kind of he's this strangely condescending like there's something sinister about him it seems but you're not sure if that's just because the main character is envious of him and the movie takes some turns that I don't want to tell you about ahead of time but it's a it's a slow moving movie but it's really hypnotic and like surprising and it's one of the few movies I've seen recently where it was very satisfying in the way it forced me to dig deeper into it and figure out my own understanding of what's happening in it. It's a very uh, open-ended movie in a certain way. Like, the plot is not open-ended, but the things that are happening behind the plot and inside the characters, you have to figure some of that out for yourself in a way that sounds that sounds kind of boring and irritating, but it's not. I found it to be a really fantastic movie. So that's Burning. That sounds great. I want to check that out. I, uh, I'm i going to recommend a movie I watched on a plane. 
uh, when I was flying back from England the other day. I watched this movie, The Headhunter, which is like a trim 80 minutes or 80, maybe 70 minutes. It's a short one. Um, and it, uh, though it is billed as having, uh, on IMDb, it's billed as having three people in the cast. That is not true. There are only two. And uh, it is kind of a grim, gritty fantasy uh, focusing on a, uh, a guy who it seems like his only mission in life is to heed the call of the nearby settlement and hunt down whatever monsters seem to be uh, bedeviling them and then chopping their heads off and mounting them in his home. And the one monster that has eluded him is the one that took uh, his daughter away from him. And uh, it's like, it's this great little fun uh, movie that takes advantage of uh, its relatively spare budget. Uh, a lot of the action is implied. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's a cool little little movie. It feels like, almost like, uh, something that would normally be fit into like a short, but kind of extended. It's cool. It's fun. The Headhunter. Check it out. Uh, I have been on, you know, The Daily Show takes a couple breaks during the summer. I've been on one of those. Uh, so I've seen a lot more uh, movies in the theater, taking more chances on different movies. I went out and I saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which... I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people have said it's kind of a throwback to kind of Amblin-style kid horror. Not like a kids on bikes thing? Yeah. And, you know, again, like I said, I have a lot of nostalgia for that. But I also... It's a PG-13 horror movie that doesn't try to be... Like, try to pretend like it's the same as an R-rated horror movie. You know, it's not taking itself seriously. It's having a lot more fun with, like, the scares and the grossness and just the adventure side of things and i appreciate that like i like a fun horror movie more than i like kind of like a nihilistic one most of the time and uh so i enjoyed it on that level and also you know it's based on the popular series of kids mm -hmm. uh books from that uh i remember from my youth a lot of compilations of folk tales a lot of compilations of urban legends uh all crammed together and, with, and wrapped in a package of the creepiest art imaginable. Yeah, the art by Stephen Gamel. And I, I will say that this is one of the movies that... For a movie that could easily have been like, we are just buying this property to have the name recognition, uh -huh. it had a lot of... Yeah, you were making that complaint about the Goosebumps movies. Shut up. <laughs> it, I'm just saying, it, it, had, it had a lot of... It had a lot of respect for the source material... Uh, there's a framing device involving a book that, like, normally is the sort of thing that would kind of irritate me, but it uh -huh. felt like reverence for where it came from. And also, the creature effects were done to make them look as much like the illustrations as possible, mm -hmm. which was kind of neat. Um, so I had I had a lot of fun. I'm not gonna. It's not quite as funny or scary as I would ideally like, but it's very enjoyable in that vein. Um, so that's my recommendation. Scary stories to tell in the dark. The movie. Uh, do, do they yeah. do the story the about books. the? Do they do the story about the family that brings a dog back from Mexico and it turns out to be a rat? Yeah, a Mexican sewer rat. Because no, that's the one that. One. Uh, that's the one that always stuck with me from those books. Partly because it was like, why would you? Like it's the picture was so horrifying. That it was yeah. like, why would they <laughs> ever take this dog? It looks horrible. Like. 
you know, they're soft-hearted. They want to, you know, why should the only the attractive dogs be adopted? Yeah, yeah I mean, all dogs how, go to heaven. Does it, uh, how does the story end? Is, is no, the it just okay? ends with the, sh- the shock. Like the, it like just the ends vet, with the reveal. It's a Mexican surette, and it has yeah. rabies. Yeah, oh, oh, that's not cool. Yeah, and they kept it in, like, it was in, like, that baby's, like, they oh, kept it with bad. the baby. Or, it was, it's disturbing. Okay. Oh, well, I guess I guess that's a sad story then. Yeah. I mean, it lit- no, it's literally a scary story to tell in the dark. Yeah. Here's the question. I mean, if it's it, so it, dark, how can you read? That's just <laughs> what I was going to ask. That's a good question. The book yeah. does not answer it. <laughs> sure. So well, that's the dark my- ink. That's what the <laughs> next edition needs. Mm-hmm. My Amazon review said one star. Too many unanswered questions. If I'm in the dark, how can I read it? This book doesn't work. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, I think we did it. Um, <laughs> what? I don't know. But go to the MaximumFun.org. Check out all the other great uh, podcasts there. It's our network. Uh-huh. They do a lot for us. We love them. Like and subscribe, baby. Yeah, subscribe on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. You know, don't do it if you've got mean things to say. Why? Why? <laughs> life is short. Why bother? Um, but if you do have something nice to say, review us, tweet about us, all that stuff. Tell people about us. Help us spread the word of this show that we're doing. And maybe this wasn't the most laugh out loud episode, but I'll tell you what. Yeah, we lived, we loved, we learned. Though. Yeah, exactly. We, we we do what we can with the things that we have. And isn't that what life is all about? Doing what you can with the things that you have. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Okay, uh, cool. I guess we're going to keep <laughs> wrapping this fucking train up. <laughs> Wait, we're wrapping a train up? Yeah. Are we Christo? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Dan, I hate to break it to you. We're Christo now. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, man. Killed just all those, those people with those umbrellas. So much work. <laughs> killed all uh, those people with those umbrellas. Like he killed 45 people with them or something. <laughs> hey, I think one person one guy. killed by umbrella is too many people killed by an umbrella. Wow, Peng- the penguin would say it's not enough. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what Oswald Cobblepot would say. <laughs> well, on that note, let's uh, let's end. Uh, I, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington, and not Christo. And I'm Elliot Kalin, also not Christo, which means by process of elimination, Dan is Christo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Let's do one more, just in case. Oh, a joke one. Okay. No, no, no. Because <laughs> you know, you're afraid no, no, of getting no, no. I real. Got, I, got a, I, got a, I got a serious I one. I like that one. I okay. just... I got a serious one, Alan. Okay. On this episode, we discuss... Welcome to Marwin. Fart. <laughs> All right. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.